0: Tonight's scripture is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. It's a continuation of the text that we were reading last week, uh, the road to Emmaus, and Jesus has appeared to his followers after the resurrection, and he's appeared to to two guys last week on the road uh, to Emmaus. And now this is the continuation of that story as those guys went back and told everybody, their friends in Jerusalem, what had happened. And this is coming from the NIV. You can read along on the screen or in in the Bibles in the pew. Starting in verse uh, 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things i'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high We are in a series uh, this whole year called Rooted, and uh, we're talking about what does it mean to be rooted in our city, what does it mean to be rooted in in our story, what does it mean to be rooted in God's grace, and this whole month we're talking about what does it mean to be rooted in Scripture, what does it mean to be rooted in the story of God. And last week, uh, we talked about this whole idea of when Jesus broke the bread at a meal for these, these men is when they saw Jesus when they recognized Jesus for the first time it was when Jesus broke the bread his body broken for us that is when they recognized Jesus and one of the things that i want to implore with you on you and to, for you to encourage you in is to know the brokenness of god that when you come to scripture that you come knowing the brokenness the woundedness of God. we can never get rid of that. We can never throw that out. And I left you guys with a small little practice. I don't know how many of you guys uh, have been following along. Anybody been reading the Scripture in the email? Look at all the hands. There's one. Drew. Drew has been reading the the email. Thank you, Drew. Let's give Drew a hand. Yeah, he's… So… But the practice, if so, if you choose, is we are trying to send out the Scripture for you guys every Wednesday so that you know the text that we're preaching on 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 Sunday night. So you can read it and marinate with it and let it sink into your bones. And I left you with this little prayer. Three things. Lord, break open the Scriptures to me. That's one. Number two, break open my heart. Number three, that I may hear your heart that I may see Jesus. And we're going to keep keep talking tonight about how is it that we become rooted in scripture. You know, sometimes I find people that want to make scripture all about heaven. And it certainly has pieces about heaven and it certainly points us to heaven. But I would say that actually scripture has more to say about here on earth. It has more to say about this life here. If, if you wanted to kind of put it in different terms, it has more to say about things that happen from Monday to Saturday than it does what happens for an hour here in worship. I see that hand. I see it. I see there's hands in the back going like this, for those of you who don't know. Uh, that means there's a revival getting ready to break out in here. Um, that it says more about the rocks and the soil and the dirt and the dust. And if you want to be rooted in Scripture, you've got to know that. You've got to know that. This Bible that we're reading is not an escape plan from earth. It is a plan to remake it. And it does it by digging deeper into it. Deeper into that reality. The hard realities is what it actually digs into deeper than anything else. The realities of our flesh and bones, our scars, our flesh and bone hunger, and our flesh and bone death. The curse has done its work there. Now God wants to break ground in those same places. Now God wants to break ground in those same places. To be rooted in Scripture, you gotta get earthy. You gotta get flesh and bony. And you gotta uncover the scars that it has given you, that this earth has given you. Growing up, As a kid, my uh, family all lived on this same mountain. I think some of my cousins were actually married to each other uh, where where I grew up in uh, Tennessee. And not really, but, you know, we were that kind of family, just really close. Everybody lived in the same neighborhood. And so every holiday, it was like going to my grandparents' house. Every time there was a birthday, went to my grandparents' house. And something that would always happen towards the end of the night is we would end up sitting around the kitchen table. And my dad, he had, uh, there's four kids in his family. My dad was the craziest one of all. He was the wild man. And every time we went to a family gathering, that last hour would be stories being told by my grandmother, by my grandfather, by my aunts, by my uncles, some even by my dad, about things my dad lived through. One was the time that he ran into the, um, the garage barefoot and a tackle box had fallen over and he ran across a bunch of fishing hooks and his feet were all hooked together. And it took him, you know, going to the hospital to get his feet unhooked. Another was the time that he was going down the hill with his friend in his new golf cart that was made from a lawnmower and my dad fell out in, cur- in curve two and uh, the golf cart ran over his head. And uh, he had the scar, you know, on his his head to show it. Um, But the one that my dad couldn't hide was that when he was a little kid, when he was like Lily's age, our daughter Lily, four years old, he was playing cowboys and Indians. And he had set some leaves on fire, his neighbor had, and he and his brother were running around the fire. And he had on some pants with tassels on the side, and his pants caught on fire. And he could not get those pants off uh, in time. And my dad spent months and months in the hospital uh, because of that burn. And his leg, from uh, his knee down to his ankle, was just shiny skin. Shiny skin. And there were so many stories like that from my dad. And he couldn't hide the scars. He couldn't hide the scars. If some of them were disciplinary scars, like the time that he and my, Uncle decided to fill up my uh, grandfather's brand new Cadillac uh, with gasoline. They were going to play gas station. But what they filled it up with was the water hose. And uh, so, you know, they got some disciplinary action for that. So, you just have to understand there are so many stories. There are just, you know, so many. And I would hear those stories. And do you know how I would walk away from those nights? I would be so hopeful. <laughs> he lived. Oh, my God. He survived. Not only did he survive getting his head run over, not only did he survive a fire, he, uh, he survived my grandfather's wrath, you know? Like, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for me. And when I would see those scars, something about my dad's scars would tell me, man, maybe there's hope here. When we turn to this text tonight, I told you that Jesus has already appeared to these two uh, people on the road to Emmaus. They've come to Jerusalem. They're telling their friends. And then Jesus appears. He just like shows up. And some people, you know, it's kind of like he just like appeared like, poof, like here I am. Others, you know, he kind of like walked up on the group and he appeared. But whether, whichever way you believe that happened, the point is that when the people see him, In verse 37, it says they are startled and frightened, even though Jesus says when He shows up, peace be with you. So, Jesus says, shalom, wholeness, let your hearts be whole. And instead, their hearts are divided, their hearts are fearful, they are frightened, they are scared. And what is it that they are so scared of? They thought they were looking at a ghost. And he asked them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And they are scared and they do not understand what is before them. Who is before them? What state is he in? And Jesus says in verse 39, Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. I have flesh and bones. Just take your arm right now. Stick it out. Take your other hand. Grab it. Feel the flesh. Feel the bone. Jesus is saying, I am just like you. Flesh and bone." Flesh and bone. Do you not know, have you not heard, that the heavenly body of Jesus is flesh and bone? Flesh and bone. Now that's super mysterious because like, you're like, where is he? Why can't we see him? But Scripture teaches us that Jesus has flesh and bone right now. Something else that he has. Remember, he he, he shows them his hands and his feet. And what do we know from other narratives about Jesus after the resurrection when he appears? Remember when he appeared to Doubting Thomas? And he said, "Uh, Thomas, come here. Touch my scars. Put your hand in my side, Thomas. What is it about Jesus that He realizes in us when our fear is so heightened that He comes to us in the midst of our fear and shows us His scars. That He comes to us in the midst of of our doubts and our disbelief and He shows us His wounds. That's one of the questions that people ask so often. You know, how, how is there evil in the world? Why does there continue to be pain in the world? And I'm telling you that no system no religion out there has a good answer for that, a fully complete answer. No, no system, no religion, no ideology has a good answer for that. But I'll tell you what, in my experience and my understanding, Christianity has the best. And it says this incredibly mysterious thing, and that is that the God who is eternal, that Jesus Christ himself still carries the scars of the cross, in his flesh and bones, that he knows our pain, that he knows our suffering. My dad, every Christmas, this, this, you know, those holidays, he's almost like this mythical creature, you know, your dad is like this person up here for some of us in our life that we look up to, and it seems like, man, like, you know, he's my role model, and I would look at my dad, and I'd be like, man, he survived. But he also is like me. He carries scars. He carries pain. And that's where I was able to connect with my dad. And I'll tell you as a father that my kids will tell you that the way they've connected with me more than anything else is through my scars, is through my pain. And the ways in which I've connected with my own self is through my scars and through my pain and the ways in which I've connected with my God is through my scars and through my pain I don't know what scars you have tonight but Sarah Claire led us in that prayer she said what are you running from and that got me I know what I'm running from I know the pain in my heart that God's calling me to deal with Do you know yours tonight? Do you know what yours is? Jesus meets us with his scars. If you're going to be rooted in Scripture, part of the journey of rooting yourself in Scripture is inviting God, inviting Jesus, not only to see your scars, but to touch them. To touch them. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is... After the resurrection, again, um, the guys are out fishing. Jesus' followers are out fishing, and they're out there in the water, and it's early in the morning. You know, the sun is maybe just coming up. And for those of you who fished all night, or for those of you who've done anything all night where you've worked hard or you've gone out super early in the morning, you know, your hunger begins to grow. And you're out working in the water. You're working nets. You guys, have you ever been out on a boat before all day and you start getting hungry? And they're out there in the boat, and they see this fire on the beach. And and Jesus, it's Jesus, and he says to them something. And Peter realizes it's Jesus, and he jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore, runs to shore. And Jesus has got this fire, and he's making breakfast. He's got bread. You know, Peter had denied Jesus three times. But he swims and runs to Jesus to this fire. And Jesus is there making bread. And he says, hey, go get some fish. Bring it here. I'm going to make you breakfast. Jesus is going to make them breakfast. Jesus, the one who is resurrected, who's come back from the dead, wants to make them breakfast. Now, here's what I think would have happened if that happened today. Somebody would have gone and gotten a big tent. They would have rented it from somebody they would have tried to hire a, a, a worship band. They would have created some Instagram posts. They would have said, he's alive. Get your friends. Come and see the miracle. Small admission at the door. And you've got to see this. You've got to see this. We're going to put the lights on him. We're going to let him tell the story. And we're going to blow him up big time. There's an opportunity here. We can taste the joy, we can taste, the amazement. In fact, we are almost living in ecstasy. You know All our haters because remember guys, that, that you know, Jesus had died and was gone for three days, like those people uh, going back to Emmaus, their heads were down. They were looking like fools. I mean, lots of Jesus's followers were looking like fools. He was just another Messiah who had, who had come and gone. But they had believed. Oh, what fools. But now we can prove to all the haters we were right. Yeah, you know, we can show everybody that we actually were right. So maybe they wouldn't have done that. But that's, that's just something I, I see in my own heart. of Wanting to create the spectacle. And Jesus says, man, let's have breakfast. Let's eat some food. In verse 41, they had so much this this verse blew me away of all the verses in this whole text i don't know if you've ever read this verse before they had so much joy and amazement that they still didn't believe what how is that possible so much joy and amazement that they still didn't believe in fact I would say some people in their Christian faith, that's their journey is they're trying to live in a state of joy and amazement, right? I mean, when I worked in Miami, I had youth kids that would go to Hillsong concerts, and after that Hillsong concert, they would think they had just gone to heaven. The problem was the rest of the year. How do you deal with life when you're not in a state of joy and amazement? When you're not on some existential plane, higher plane of like, ah. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think there's a beauty in in being able to worship like that. But if that's your expectation to live in that space, if that's what this whole Christian journey is about, you're going to be so, so disappointed. So Jesus asked for fish. Hey, can I just get some fish? I know you guys are freaking out. I know you guys are like amazed and joyful and, and everything, but I just, could you just give me some fish because I want to bring this thing down to the earthy level for you guys. I know you guys are already up here in the clouds. I want to bring it back down to earth so they give him some broiled fish. Such a funny detail, right? Like Luke, thank you. Um, broiled fish. That's what Jesus has. And, And it grounds this story, this resurrection, like the greatest thing that could ever happen story, in the middle of it is broiled fish. Jesus wants to bring this down to the earth level, and he eats it. And he declares to them, I am not a ghost. This is not some otherworldly deal, he still has a body, a body that will last forever. And in verse 44, everything, he says, must be fulfilled that was written from Moses to the prophets to the Psalms. And what is that everything? What did they say? What does this have to do with them in that space with him right there? See, the God of the garden going back to Moses, God made that garden. He made those people out of his creativity, out of his heart. And then he walked with them in the cool of the day. They had this incredible relationship of being together, of being unified, of solidarity, of enjoying God's creation together. And then it says he went after them even in their rebellion against him. And as we keep unpacking this story of God's story throughout scripture we see he never stopped. In fact, he becomes flesh and bone and guts. It's not just that he carries the flesh and bone that you can see and touch, but he's made of the human stuff inside too. Give me some fish, I'll eat it. I have guts. I have like a digestive tract. Jesus has a colon, people. And that's how human he is. That's how earthy he is. This isn't just some outward deal. This is an inward deal too. And so often I find, not just in Christianity, but I find this in strands of meditation I find this in different practices in my life and different practices in my friends' lives that really we want to escape our human experience. That really in some ways we want to deny it. And Jesus fully embraces it. In fact, you could say that what Jesus is really after in us is that we would embrace it too that if you go back to the lie of the garden that said you have to be more than human Jesus is coming down and saying look i'll become a human just like you you don't have to be more than human you be human you are beautiful you are my artwork i will be god you can be human that is enough They want to spiritualize the moment, but Jesus wants to bring it back to earth. He becomes the high priest who knows what it is like to be us. He isn't a ghost, he is a human. And in him now, in this new state, even, he has this body that has wed heaven and earth together. And it is a mystery. There's no question about it. It is a mystery. He is flesh and bone, and yet, and that's forever. It will not decay like our bodies will. But he has guts, and he has flesh and bone. And if you want to be rooted in Scripture, you have to understand that God still has guts, that Jesus still has guts, that he is more rooted in this earth in the food of this earth, in the hands of those who prepare it than you and I ever want to be. But he's inviting us to become more connected to it. In Jewish tradition, there is this tearing of the clothes that happens whenever you find out a loved one has died if you're related to them. So if you find out that a sibling or, or a child or a parent has died you will tear your clothes above your, your heart. And the idea is that when you rip the clothes, that your heart is exposed, that destruction has happened, that you are angry at the brokenness of this world. And some people do that upon hearing the news, some people do it at the funeral, but it is a mark on you that your heart has been broken, that you are grieving deeply. We see that in Jacob's life when they bring him Joseph's coat of many colors, soaked in blood, that he rips his clothes, his garment. King David, when he hears the news of Saul's death, he tears his garment. Job, a man of great sorrows, tears his garment, exposing the heart. And not only do they do it then, But then there is this ongoing annual continuation of honoring the day the person has died. This ongoing solidarity with them. Some of us went to the Shabbat service in Miami for MLK Day. And Jordan and I had the honor of of reading some of Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s uh, speeches there at that event. And it was an honor to be there. And when we came into the Shabbat, it was the first time I'd ever been to one before. If you've never been, I highly encourage you to go. And if you're interested in that, you can come talk to us. Uh, There was clapping and singing and and dancing, and it was, like, really fun. I mean, it wasn't as good as Paradise Sims. It wasn't as good as these guys. But it was really, it was fun, and it was good. But there was this point in the service that I had never experienced before in a church. and Maybe you've experienced this. I had never experienced it before. But they had this list of about 30 names, and some of the names were in bold. In the middle of the service, they, they said this prayer, the rabbi, friend Alan, said this prayer, and then he began to read these names. And when he got to the names that were in bold, people in the, in the congregation would stand up. He kept reading and reading and reading. This took some time. This was maybe five, ten minutes of the service. And we found out that he was reading the names of the people who had died who were connected to that congregation that week. Not that they had died that week, but that their death day was during that week on the calendar. So if you had a family member who had died this week, we would have read the name of that loved one. Or if there had been somebody in our church who had died, we would read their name. Later on, I was standing in the back of the church and there was a list of names that went all along the back wall and down the side and went all back that way and down the side. And next to the names, there was these little little orange uh, bulbs. And I realized that all the bold names were lit up. And those were the people who had attended their church. Those were the people who were a part of their community. And that week, they were honoring their death day. So I talked to Alan about it. Later, a rabbi, I said, you know, Alan, what is that all about, man? And he said, well, you know, in Judaism, we don't honor people's birthdays. We honor the day they died. I thought, man, that's fascinating. That is so fascinating to me. See, when we come to this place Of reading the names of people who have died. In many ways, we are tearing open the wound again. We are tearing open the cloth. The culture wants to deny death, but we have a time of honoring it in our service. But I wonder how much that has influenced our church. Do we honor those who have died? Do you honor death days in your family? Like when somebody has died in your family, do you remember that day? But in the church, there's such little space for lamenting. There's such little space for remembering even death. And Jesus takes the shovel the tip of the shovel, to that hardened place in our culture here, especially in the church. And he steps on the back of the shovel and just digs in. He digs in because he wants to open up the earth to us. He wants to open up our hearts. He wants to open up our understanding of death. He wants to open up our understanding of Scripture. And in verse 45 it says, He opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. And this is how he does it. He tells them, verse 46, the Messiah will suffer. And this was our emphasis last week. He won't just suffer, he will die. He will die. The flesh and bones, the guts, he will die. And, verse 2, and, it's a big and, rise from the dead. From death He rose. From the depths of the earth He came forth. And when He comes forth, He comes forth with the dust of it. When Jesus Goes into the tomb, when he goes into death itself, the very thing that we are so plagued by because of sin in this world. Jesus goes into that dark hole and in solidarity brings life, brings life back to dust. That is the promise of our gospel is not that we skip over the suffering and the scars and the hunger of our flesh and bones. That we embrace it because we have a God who resurrects it. See, the thing that sets you apart, you guys, if you really believe the gospel, the thing that sets you apart is that you can stare your pain, you can stare your scars down. You can grieve to the depths of who you are. I have that kind of grief in me. I've been there. And the most surprising thing ever is that God met me at the very bottom of it. When I grieved, when I grieved that we had lost a third child, we have three miscarriages. The last one was so painful. I grieved it I learned that God had lost a child too at a whole other level I didn't realize He met me in pain in a way I never ever thought He would the darkest day of my life He meets us in those places and I know know we want to run away from it nobody likes pain nobody likes it What you do with your pain is so important. There's a thousand ways to escape it. Scripture is the way in which it shows you how to address it. That Jesus will take your hand and lead you into it. He's not afraid of it. And when you find that there's a God at the bottom of it, in the grave... See, some of us, we're trying to believe. We're trying to have faith. We're fighting. We're like, man, I want to have more faith. I want to have more faith. If I have more faith, then I can live in joy and amazement. And, And we think that then, if we live in joy and amazement, that everybody else will want what we have and then they'll believe in Jesus. I tried that for like 20 years, it didn't work. People were like, dude, you're obnoxious. You're disconnected from reality. oh man, but now you know what I find? I'm more connected with rea- in reality with reality than ever. So much so that some people can't handle it. I want to go deeper into the pain because I've seen a God who meets us there. And he brings life from there. As we engage Scripture as we seek to be rooted in scripture, we hold these two things in tension, that we have a God who was broken for us, and we have a God who has the glory of a resurrected body. We have the suffering of God and the power of God. They are wedded together, and we hold those two in tension as we come to Scripture. At the cross, the curtain was torn in the temple. The heart of God opened, poured out, ripped from bottom to top. At the resurrection, the earth was opened. The grave was opened. And with it, God is giving birth to a whole new world. Let us pray.